Welcome back to another episode of the Ladies Who Lunch. Today, I have a woman who has done Amazing Grace, SpongeBob SquarePants, West Side Story, Black No More, and she recently wrapped up doing the revival tour of 1776. I'd like to propose a toast. Here's to Onika Phillips. Hi, Onika. How are you? Hi. Thank you so much for having me. It's thank you for joining here. me. So <laughs> how I know you is, and we talked about this before the podcast, was through 1776. Yes. So originally, I was going to go see it because friend of the show, Allison Blackwell, was going to be a part of it. And then she stepped down. And then my, but then my college friend Sushma Saha started to do it. And I was like, well, we love Sushma. She's the best. She's just the bomb. And I was like, so we're going to go see it. And so I saw on Broadway, I saw like your second to last matinee because I went up in January. Okay. And I didn't know what to expect because I know it received a lot of mixed reviews. I know there were people who were like, it was terrible. I shouldn't have changed anything. And then there were people who were like, oh my God, that's an amazing impression. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like when when I went, it was a wild experience. And I shared this with um when I had Crystal and N when I had Joanna on the podcast. So I went, I think I bought the last ticket for that day. Cause I went oh. in and I was gonna buy Rush. And mm -hmm. they were like, We only have this one seat left and it's like eighty dollars. And I was like, Well, okay, well it's because we love Sushma. So we'll go we're also a Nancy Anderson fan, so we'll go see it. Right. Um, and so what was, so the woman, to, I was like in like the third row on the state, on the right side of the orchestra. Okay. And so the woman sitting to my left was like, she was like, oh my, like during intermission, she was like, oh my God, I love it. My daughter told me to come here. She was like, it's fantastic. I love it. The two older guys to my right were like, how, they were like, oh my God, this sucks. It's terrible. They're like, I can't believe they changed all this stuff. They made all the founding fathers so horny and all this stuff. And I'm like. They were that. Horny. That's I was like, <laughs> they like Benjamin Franklin had sex diaries. Yes. I, I think what's really interesting is that um people were clouded by the casting. Mm -hmm. and, and I think some people didn't even realize that in fact it was a revival. Right? The material that we were seeing, the writing, that is the writing of the original production. It's not, nothing is added for a modern exactly. context. Like words are not changed or used or, you know, the estate was very specific about that. So it, it was, I loved doing talkbacks to sort of bring that point forward to people who didn't realize it. You know, they're like, oh, you know, did you change, you know, for uh, molasses to rum was that, I, you know, I remember one guy said, I assume that's, you know, to bring uh, bring it into a modern context in terms of an understanding of slavery. And we were like, no, it wasn't. It's literally, that is the song from the original production. That is the music from mm -hmm. the original production. The words are from the original production. And those words all came out of the mouths of the white men who were originally cast. This casting, for me is specific for me that for me to connect to the history because so much of that history was excluded like excluded so everybody mm -hmm. that was on that stage right it excluded nobody that is that was on that stage would have been in the room mm -hmm. when the writing of the declaration happened 
And yet the ideas, these philosophies that are written into the start, the, the founding of the nation belong to everyone who would call themselves an American. It was far bigger than, than these men. And in fact, we are an iteration of the freedom that they were thinking of, like the freedom to express ourselves a certain way. And why would you be mad at that? Mm -hmm. Right? People cling to what they know and, and cling to what they think they understand. And then the show also asked you to reckon with something. So when the words came out of the mouths of people that look like me, a black woman, it becomes a little scarier. It becomes, uh, it becomes less um, of an ideology. It becomes less um, prolific and more real to the impact of the choices that were made, right? Mm -hmm. So the country is founded on contradiction, mm -hmm. fighting for freedom while holding other people enslaved. Yes. It's, it's, it's founded on compromise. The idea that Washington, excuse me, uh, um, Jefferson? Thomas Jefferson wrote into the declaration a clause to end slavery and a compromise had to be made because the other uh, colonies did not want to end the practice. Mm -hmm. So it's fun. You, you, you start to, connect to the history, understanding its contradictions and understanding the compromises, understanding the promise that was held within these words. And for me, it, 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 it was actually healing. Um, and I, for, you know, especially on the road, I felt that there was a lot of space for that understanding. Mm -hmm. I, um, Broadway, Audiences are very, very intelligent. Usually they're people that go to the theater um, all the time. But even that practice can stick you in a box when you have an expectation about what you're coming to see. Mm -hmm. But I also appreciate that, you know, art is subjective mm -hmm. and that people do have a right to critique and people do have a right to enjoy, you know, even... Um, some of the most, for me, a work that might be very beautiful by um, Michelangelo, someone else might look at it and see something misogynist or, uh, or inappropriate, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I personally, when I'm a part of a show, one, one thing that is very important is the type of work that I'm doing and the message that it's leaving with audiences. And so in that capacity, participating in the show um, was very, very gratif gratifying for me. Oh, sorry. I think you froze there for a minute. I was just like, I was like, is she froze? <laughs> did I froze or did you freeze? <laughs> I, I thought you froze for a bit. And then I was just like, I was like, wait, is she blinking? I was, no. like, I was like, and see? <laughs> okay, wait, I need to write a note about that. <laughs> so, yeah, and so I remember I loved it, and I remember, because you were on as John Hancock, and Liz McCall was on as um, Tom as Benjamin Franklin. 
Liz Michael, yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, Liz Michael. Oh, I'm that's sorry. great. It's great that you got to see us um, in that capacity. Yes, yes. Because my my as cast role on Broadway was uh, Joseph Hughes of North mm -hmm. Carolina, um, and that playing that role really taught me the art of acting through listening. The role doesn't have a lot of lines, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, myself and Sarah Porkalob as the Carolina, Sarah as South Carolina, and uh, myself as North, we created a sort of um, Siamese cat approach to it, uh, <laughs> like the Lady and the Tramp idea, you know. Yeah. We are Siamese. <laughs> yes. You know, so we had this very slithering, um, slithering <laughs> Um, approach to the characters that I, I, I enjoyed exchanging with her where in reality, Joseph is about 46, I think. And, um, Nettie or Edward Rutledge is 26, you know, and he's the most sort of, he's the biggest peacock, I mean, per the show. Mm-hmm. And so early in rehearsals, you know, I went to her and I said, what if we played as if Joseph is, is feeding these ideas to the, the peacock, peacock of the Congress, right? So Joseph has his own agenda. Edward has his own agenda. And together they can ensure that those two things are, mm -hmm. that, that those agendas are passed. So, one of the funny things is um, uh, Joseph stands up to say, you know, nowhere do you mention deep sea fishing rights, which is a joke, right? Because mm -hmm. we, they've been sitting there for days and, you know, scratching out a word mm -hmm. here, a phrase there, whatever. And then he stands up to talk about fishing rights. And um, it just sends John Adams crazy, right? He's like, you know, my God, fishing rights. Like, how long is this piddling going to go on? And in that moment, I would turn to Sarah as Edward and whisper in her ear, it is time, now is the time to bring up what we talked about. Now, mm -hmm. we, I don't know necessarily if the audience is getting that, but for us as actors and infusing that understanding of our characters into the space like that, it just made it really, it really made me connect to what are some of the political goings on that had to happen for this monumentous agreement to actually come to fruition? Mm -hmm. Who was whispering in whose ear? Who was making suggestions? Who was saying no? Who was saying, you know, riding 80 miles back to Delaware um, to get a delegate to return sick, dying of cancer with like a hole in his face mm -hmm. so that you would have that, you know, it, those small details that would help the larger picture really made me interested in the history as well as the through line to the politics of today that operate on those same systems. You know, it's, it, yeah, it was, it, mm -hmm. it was very, very, as, like I said, gratifying. So I do want to get back into 1776, but first off, I want to mention something I noticed when I was looking things up online is you always kill a red carpet moment. 
<laughs> Thank you. <laughs> like I remember this one one that I would think it was the one that I was obsessed with was the SpongeBob, and you had like this gorgeous like blue or like teal lipstick on the lipstick so that was actually the lipstick of my character that i wore <laughs> on stage and i ne would ne like ordinarily in life maybe like a super dark blue or super dark navy blue but that like bright popping you know caribbean sea blue mm -hmm. <laughs> lipstick i wouldn't but that was the that was the nature of that show it just brought out a uh, and and audacity and zaniness and which is why i'm very careful about the shows that i want to participate in because mm -hmm. i do find that they impact me you know mm -hmm. my very first broadway show was fela which is about the life and music of fela kuti and the women that were a part of uh the music that he made and the life that he lived and they were just so audacious and re reconnecting to their african roots and it really um was impacting on myself and how i showed up physically in the world and then with you know fast forward all the way to spongebob i remember very specifically wondering what am i gonna wear for this opening and this is like before covid right this is mm -hmm. 2017 so we just knew that it was going to be a blowout like nickelodeon was going to go all out with this opening night party and i walked into i think it was forever 21 it's closed now in times times square and there was this red like neoprene what material dress with these wonderful furls and twirls on it and i put it on and it fit and i was like get yeah, that's it that's the look you know and then as i put it on you know the night of opening and i still had my face on from the show i was like i'm gonna wear this lip I'm going to wear, I'm going to wear leopard print heels with a neoprene red dress, blue lips and a mohawk. Let's go. Okay. Because right. <laughs> that was something I always noticed. I was like, I was like, that is like, I was like, I was like, oh my God. I was like, she looks stunning. I was just Thank like, you. Stunning. It's always hard though. It's, it's always like what should i get what should i wear i remember for amazing grace they hired a, a dressmaker and the woman it just it just ended up being a tragedy she was not getting the dresses done like they were asking her you know okay we're getting closer you're gonna come in and do more fittings or people go you know and it was what i think two nights before opening she brought my dressing and it looked nothing like what we had designed <laughs> and luckily the costume department was so kind as to like just help me make a couple repairs to it mm -hmm. and like throw a fierce like belt over it and it was like okay this is it or else i'm not going <laughs> <laughs> you know it's always it, it it's it's wonderful but also so stressful o opening night is just it it it's overwhelming, you know, mm -hmm. so like you usually there's a lot of friends and family that are coming and then your dressing room is inundated with gifts from people and the, the producers and the theater and your cast and flowers and and then you have to find somewhere to put your damn dress and then yeah. the show and then after the show you don't want to take too long to get to the event. It's just it's nuts. And then since COVID, um, 
that's changed as well, but people are still encouraged to, you know, dress up, to, to look nice. But I always try to find something that is related to the show, um, the show that I'm in. And if not the show itself, just my Caribbean-ness, mm-hmm. you know, just showing my Caribbean-ness through what I wear um, as a part of American theater. So speaking of your Caribbean-ness, you grew up in Grenada. I grew up in Grenada, yes. I was actually born on Guyana, in Guyana, in South America. Mm-hmm. And moved to Grenada when I was very young. So that that's where I, I grew up, yeah. And I read this in an article. So you grew up, you watched musicals on VHS. Mm-hmm. Specifically, I remember you said you watched Jesus Christ Superstar. And Jesus Christ crazy. Superstar. So yeah, you said musicals, <laughs> and I was in my mind. I was like, well, it was like one. <laughs> you know, my, my I remember. I think we had uh, My Fair Lady, which my mother loved, um, and Jesus Christ Superstar, which I think was more my father's beat. Mm-hmm. And I was even as a small child just really really pulled into the storytelling Mm -hmm. and being you know being a west indian and being being a caribbean woman and the influence of the church and this sort of like blind faith about it all to this story about a, a man who was struggling with this task that he had been given and how it humanized him um I was obsessed with it. And lo- up to this day, I will just be walking down the street and like, just out of nowhere, I will be God. Thy will is hard, but you hold every car. It's like, oh my God, get out of my head. <laughs> Jesus, get out of my head. <laughs> but I, 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 I really was, I really was like immensely impacted by the, um, by by the, the the musical and the music and the 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 filming in Jerusalem you know but no what i was saying now that you're back what i was saying is that i felt very moved by this particular musical i'm not a music theater kid i don't have deep knowledge of the um of the industry the way that so many of my um friends and colleagues are um i am a i was a dancer first Mm -hmm. and i was more interested in concert dance um but you know as fate would have it and personal path and journey I was led to to music theater and the one the the one musical movie musical specifically that I would say had a tremendous impact on me both personally and professionally was uh Jesus Christ Superstar that Mm -hmm. the filming in Jerusalem you know I Mm -hmm. went to Jerusalem uh, with West Side Story went to Israel with West Side Story and um, went to Masada and, you know, was like, this, this is it. Like, these are the spaces Mm -hmm. which these people danced and sang and, you know, uh, 
put their hearts out for their craft and art in the hot sun in order to uh, tell this story. It's just, it's very moving, very impacting. Mm -hmm. So when you were growing up in Grenada, did they have like theater there that you would attend or were you just sticking to Jesus Christ Superstar? Well, no, not, not, not in any way that is um, correlated to like an American experience, yeah. right? Um, especially uh, Grenada is a smaller island. The population mm -hmm. right now is 110,000 people. Um, back in the day, we, the island had a lot of exchange programs with Cuba. Mm -hmm. So Cuba would send teachers and Cuba has, I mean, Cuban dancers are some of the best in the world in any genre. And uh, so that's where my heart was pulled to. So we would have, there, there isn't a, I mean, right now there is, but there, there wasn't a like professional school of training. You had people who loved dance and who had gone to some of these exchange programs and then came back and started smaller schools, like the one that I went to, which was called the Grenada Dance Workshop. And we would, you know, have class, but mostly it was putting choreography on our bodies and then doing shows, uh, which I guess in an American context would be like a recital. But we were yeah. really all over the island. But in terms of a musical, like musicals, no. Yeah. To, to set, you know, like someone is singing the song and then there's mm -hmm. sets and set changes and, and choreography and we're directing. No, plays. I think are more would be more relevant to my experience as a as a as a young Caribbean theater goer, mm -hmm. and very many of them were usually Caribbean themed. So, yeah, I I really my my the influence on on who I am as a person and my audacity and my desire to set a goal and achieve it really is more impacted by sports specifically mm -hmm. the olympics and olympians um and by my teachers you know school teachers who encouraged me to uh, in that vein of here is a dream or a goal and what is the work that it's going to take to have it come true have it become real um, versus more traditional stories of like, I watched this and I watched that and this person. And you can name like these theater icons of the 60s, 70s and 80s. And I've styled my voice after them. And, uh, you know, that is not my story. <laughs> <laughs> it is not my story at all. Um, but in general, it, it was just a love of being on stage and a love of presentation and feeling like I was accomplishing something I set my mind to that led me down, the, that eventually had my path intersect with American music theater and eventually with Broadway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you grew up, like you talked about this a little bit before, you grew up a dancer. So what was it Jesus Christ Superstar that drew you into dance? No, no. I, to quote my father, I kind of just popped out of my mom dancing. I just <laughs> loved movement. I was a bit of a, a wild child, you know, second child. 
lots and lots of energy. And I think for my parents, it was important that that energy be channeled. Mm -hmm. So they put me in the, when we were still in Guyana, in the Guyana School of Dance, um, which had a similar tradition to Grenada with the uh, Cuban exchange programs, teachers who would come from Cuba or teachers who trained in Cuba. Um, and that was more of a professional uh, school, the Guyana School of Dance. And uh, I just, I loved it. I loved it. I could not wait for Saturday to come around. And music was like always playing in the house. So I loved dancing in the house, on the bed, on the sofa. That's where it comes from. And then to understand, oh, there is something that can allow me to nurture this love and be good at the thing was exciting. You know, I, 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 I'm very fortunate that my parents saw that potential in me and, and put me into a discipline that would eventually become my career. Mm-hmm. So has dancing like inspired you at all, like in your personal life or any way? I think it's, it's, I think it's the backbone of, of who I am, right? The, there is a discipline to use that word again, that comes with mm -hmm. it. You, you have to be at class by a certain time. You have to put in a tremendous amount of work to improve your, your craft. You have to have a respect of your, your teachers and your trainers and you, have to have a certain behavior when you are um, in the spaces of learning and you have to share those spaces of learning with other people and give allowance. You know, like think if you think of across the floor, everybody has to do it. It's not just like, oh, the best in the class get to go across the floor and the rest just have to watch. So the, it was a, a space of equity and expectation of how you would show up and I think that absolutely by osmosis uh, transfers to, you know, my, my personal life, meaning who I am off stage, right? I, I, punctuality is very, very important to me. I feel very uncomfortable when I'm running late. I prefer when people alert me to them not being on time. Um, I think that respect is a part of you respect other people's time and you respect what other people have to do with their lives. So it, it, it absolutely does the way I carry myself, the, my from the physical to the mental, to the inspirational dance has absolutely been the, yes, it's, it's my spinal cord in terms of my life. It, it is literally mm -hmm. where every important nerve comes from brain spinal cord that is what dances in my life um and it's interesting because um at the same time in terms of my career it's a bit of a box right the thing with uh the the triple threat right dancing singing acting is that the dancer is probably the least trusted <laughs> with the aspect with the other two aspects right so and more recently, I've had to start learning the power of no, right? I don't want to focus solely on these dancing roles. I must keep growing 
you know, I mm-hmm. have to keep growing. And um, so I owe, you know, my life and my career and who I am as a person um, to dance. But like every relationship, sometimes you grow apart a little bit. Mm-hmm. I will always love it. I will always be a dancer. Um, but I also don't want it to pigeonhole me. And the irony is that dance is what has given me the audacity <laughs> to recognize, you know, like mm-hmm. when it's time to say I can't or I won't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you did do a dance every show, which was West Side Story. Mm-hmm. And you toured the world with did. it. did, yeah. And you played Anita. And one of the things that I really enjoyed about your Anita was that it was very brassy. Mm-hmm. Because you have a very distinct, like, lower tone in I your do. voice. I do, yes. I'm a true alto, you know. <laughs> Maybe would... even contra-alto, because, like, I, 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 that's where, that's one of the reasons I fell in love with the role. I had, um, I had seen West Side Story, you know, the movie musical, mm-hmm. um, and loved it. You know, I, I, I really enjoyed it. But, again, that it wasn't my focus. Music theater was my focus. Um. But when I initially was cast in in that international tour, I was Consuela, uh, one of the shark girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and in rehearsing with my Anitas, right? Um, one of whom was Lana Gordon, who is a, a good friend of oh, mine. And fabulous, my love sister. her. Yeah, like she is such an incredible talent. Um, she would talk so her- to me like she would say like you could you can play this role, and I I was like you know what I think I can, <laughs> <laughs> but I really had not tapped into that voice just yet, mm-hmm. and in, into singing uh, that way just yet, and I was told by the director for two years no he would have me come into audition and he was like you're not ready. And I worked, I mean, I worked my ass off to improve my voice, improve the capability of singing and dancing together, and of course the acting. Um, And then finally, he said, now you're ready, and um, awarded me the role. And I'm so glad I took it. It came at such an inopportune time, (laughs) because I was working on Fela, and Fela was getting ready to do an off-Broadway run run with the intention of moving to Broadway. So it was such an abundant time. And, you know, that's the dream, right? The dream is, oh, my gosh, I have to choose between these <laughs> incredible roles. And, and I was very fortunate to be in that position. But I put so much work into Anita that I kind of had to trust the universal forces that to honor her and the legacy of the women that had played her and have played her and will play her um and then trust that if Fela was mine to have it would come back to me which is exactly what happened but playing Anita was and, and all over the like you said all over the world mm-hmm. right Spain, Japan like just Singapore all over mm-hmm. um England, London at Sadler's Wells. That was very special. Paris. Um, it really opened up 
something inside of me um, that I think speaks to the power of music theater and why people are so drawn to it and why people love it. Um, whether you are like uh, actually on stage performing or you are the public that comes to see it, there's something about the combination of singing, acting, dancing, and then of course, costumes, set, lighting, um, any design effort to make that one entire picture that helps tap into human emotion and human experience or move away from it so that you have reprieve. And I, you know, I really did feel the, the power of music theater through the West Side Story. That was my first music theater um, professional experience. Prior to that, I was in a dance company. Mm-hmm. So I, I, oh gosh, I, 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 I am in, I have such a debt to that show um, in terms of catapulting me into music theater and um, growing to love it and respect it immensely. So how long were the stops typically on that tour? Because I would imagine like where like the U.S. is like a week, two weeks. I'd imagine it was like month long stops. It was long. I mean, look, I was with that production in one capacity or, or another from the very end of 2005. Most of the times we say 2006, the top of th- 2006 through 2009. Um, in different iterations of the tour. And yes, yeah, some places, like if we if you think about Japan, Japan, we were there for two months playing different mm-hmm. cities. And, you know, so you might be there, you might be in one city for a month, you might be in a city for, for um, you know, six weeks. And then you might be in another city for two weeks. You know, it all depended on what was the contractual aspect of the thing. But it didn't matter. These spaces and places were all so beautiful. Some of these theaters were majestic. Mm-hmm. And then others, state of the art, like I remember Singapore just being one of the newest um, uh, theaters like on the planet mm-hmm. uh, at the time. <laughs> and they're, they're sta- they just had some state of the art things in that theater. So... Every city that we went to, it was another adventure. That is that is the key word. If I, if I could only use one word to describe the tour, it would be adventure. Because mm-hmm. I remember I saw it, and I remember they had like these massive like I because there, there were videos of it online. Yes, yeah. I remember I saw this. They like had like these massive like they literally like looked like it was like supposed to be like fire escapes that were like move it, it, it they were so it was a minimalist set which is necessary for such a, a long tour and for various theaters but it was like based on the the you know the stairs you see on new york older new york apartment mm-hmm. things um which also served as fire escapes so it was to get that sort of fifties feel um, of the, uh, the get, bring that to the set without using too many large pieces mm-hmm. that would be very expensive to tour. 
So did you have a favorite city when you were touring the world? Oh my gosh, that is an unfair question. <laughs> I, I, it's just unfair. I remember, uh, oh gosh, Madrid was incredible. Oh, I love Madrid. Greece was way. incredible. Japan was out of control. Just amazing. Um, Paris was beautiful. London, I love the theater. and But London, the city itself, for me, was not, Mm -hmm. I, not necessarily my favorite but the the like i said each city held so much so such specificity to the people and the culture you know amsterdam germany you know like and, and <laughs> how people show their appreciation for example in germany when they when they do their standing ovations they they start clapping you know everybody's individually clapping and then when they love it they now everybody starts clapping in time so it's like boom 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 boom, boom instead of like individual <laughs> so it's just like terrifying and amazing at the same time <laughs> and then uh leon france leon france was this outdoor amphitheater that is like two thousand years old and they have summer programs every year. And we walked in and the woman said, just be aware if they enjoy the show, they toss the cushions towards the stage because it's an amphitheater. It's an old amphitheater. So everybody that walks in gets a cushion to put because you're sitting on stone yeah. right, to put on the stone. And I remember I came out to Bowers Anita and the, the crowd just erupted and like these cushions are like falling <laughs> towards you. And I felt specifically sorry for the orchestra. The orchestra was down front of the stage also outside and they were just like you know like <laughs> these cushions <laughs> you know and then you know the people standing and cheering so it, what a question because i just just two weeks ago had a, a, a little mini reunion with some friends from that tour so we were talking about the experience of it and how proud we were of each other for being very, very adventurous and exploring and finding out and indulging in the cultures uh, and rather than just staying in our hotel room until showtime. I mean, we really, really had some incredible experiences city to city, but I would say, definitely say like the, the unique responses they stick in your head like leon like germany amsterdam uh spain the the response i got in spain as anita was very very moving um and so i hold a, a, a an appreciation for the audiences there as well mm -hmm. i just yeah i know it's one of one of what i loved was because when i went was i was in high school we went to um we went to Europe. I went to Europe for like two weeks, mm -hmm. and because my Italian teacher ran it, and so we went. We did Barcelona and Madrid, and then we went to France, and then we finished. We did. We went to Florence, and then we finished in Rome. What an amazing experience for two weeks, and yeah. it was like a bunch of like high school. Like it was like it was like there was like four adults, and it was a bunch of high school kids. Yeah, and we were like with other groups, so there were more adults. Yeah, but it was. So much fun, and I remember I kept trying to convince. We went. I remember I kept trying to convince everyone. I was like, "Let's go see the Lion King," because when we were in Spain, it was there. I was like, "Let's go see the Lion King." People were like, "What's well, going to be in another language? We're not going to understand." It. And I was like, "Half of it's in another language to begin with." 
I was like, we've all seen the movie. Use your context clues. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. And we, I mean, obviously, every city we went to, we were we were doing it in English. Mm-hmm. Some cities, they're, they're so proficient at English that there wasn't a necessity for um, subtitles or um, o- over top of the stage titles. Mm-hmm. There's a name for that, but I forget. I think it's like uh, surtitles or open captions. Yeah. So, you know, like sub means like sub on the bottom. And then there's one for over the top. I think it's sir. It's sir titles. I'm going to trust you on that. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, so we we would. But again, that is the thing with music theater is that and good acting is that if you can turn the volume all the way down, which I do sometimes um, when I am watching series that I I'm really, really invested in and I can turn it down and still from the context of the exchange, understand what's happening so that even if I'm not hearing it or if I'm not, if I don't understand the language, I, I you know, from human experience, I, I, I understand what's going on. Um, and I think it's actually a great ex- exercise and a great exercise in empathy and also a great exercise to test what you are what what are you receiving from actors when they're in the moment of something and how are you understanding it and how are you interpreting it so did you go see the lion king no we didn't because none of them wanted to go <laughs> um we did end up we did go to flamingo dancing because it was in and we could only we did go because it was in oh, a, flamenco was, you said flamingo and i was I like did. i want to go flamingo dancing <laughs> flamenco dancing we saw that <laughs> and it was incredible like yeah. i remember because we were in this yeah. like it wasn't like it wasn't like it wasn't like you know like one of those things where it's like flamenco dancing and it was like it was like in this like tiny club so you knew you were getting like the was real it barcelona deal. it was barcelona i think yeah, yeah i did that too i i wanted to die it was <laughs> so moving it was yeah. so moving and you know Barcelona, my friend Marla and I were walking back to, we didn't perform in Barcelona. We took a trip there and we were walking back to our little apartment and we heard some singing and clapping and knew that it was like flamenco. So we kind of followed our ear and it was basically a people who worked in a bar and the bar was closed and we are like literally peer, like <laughs> looking through the window and they are just singing drinking and dancing not performing for anyone just having fun but just in that tradition and the passion of it right so i think when i see flamenco i feel like it's a type of like a possession it's something so moving Mm -hmm. that yes you when you have an audience in front of you and you're performing but it's so moving and so uh it takes over you you know, oh, I'm so glad you had that experience. And I remember, like these, these there were these girls that were making fun of me, and I was like, I was like, I don't like from our tour group. They were making fun of me because I was just so into it. I was like, lean forward, yeah. <laughs> I was invested. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Invested is a great word. It draws you in that way. Yes. So yeah, and I remember I we also what else did we do? We all did we see anything else? I think we saw like a like not like. 
we would all like because we had time where we could just walk around wander the city and like we had to be in groups except for the one time where i walked away because there was drama going on this one girl was like this one girl was like this one girl was like they're stepping on my boyfriend's snapchat story that's like something and i was like why did you kill her you're in europe (laughs) well you know that is the it it, you know that's the teenage thing right you could be in the most beautiful part of the world but they're certain things that are more important like what am i wearing and what's my boyfriend doing <laughs> and i just remember i was just like and i was like i was like i'm not because we were in you're we in nice paris when it was happening i was like i was like i'm not dealing with this mm-hmm. i was like the city is gorgeous i'm gonna go around and i'm gonna go and look at all the shops i was like i want to because i was getting all these presents from home like i remember when we were in yeah. when else when we were in france i remember i got i got this really nice purse for my mom yeah um, and I remember, like, I was just, I was like, I was like, I just don't want to deal with it. I was like, I don't want to deal with this drama. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I don't I understand. I understand. <laughs> did you see the Eiffel? No, we didn't. We didn't go to Paris. We did because what we did was we were in okay. Barcelona, Madrid, yeah. or which, and then we took a bus slash train along the French Riviera. Yes. Okay. And we watched The Good Dinosaur, which was in f- Spanish, I think. And so I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> um, and Because that was what was playing on the train. And I had no idea what was going on. Um, and then we were in Florence for like a day or and like a half a day or so, a day and a half. And then we finished in Rome. And I remember the, I remember the main thing that I took <laughs> was we went to the Vatican. And I was like, if y'all give me... 300 euros i will pretend to be possessed in the middle of the vatican i got 250 and i kept the 250 okay <laughs> but i didn't do it because i was like yeah it's 300 y'all are short. you're short i'm, I'm 50 euros <laughs> short the possession is not happening thank you thank you for your donation and your time <laughs> i just remember like yeah and so that was what and i just remember then at the end our tour guide her name was miriam she was the best i remember we got I forget, we were in Madrid, I think, and I got, like, this little, like, red stuff bowl for her, mm-hmm. and I had all of us sign it, and then we gave it to her as a gift, and I just still, yeah, I loved it. I so still great. have things from the Europe trip. I still have, I still have, like, my leftover Euros that I didn't spend. I had so much fun there. I, I want to go back great. again. Yeah, I and I would say that was such an important part of that tour, you know, the ability to get out into the cities and see things that you know i'd only read about or maybe seen on tv or something and like actually go to certain places um in and like i said interact with the culture it oh gosh what a what a brilliant brilliant time it it was Mm -hmm. really fantastic and then on top of that I'm Anita in West Side Story. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, it, it, it uh, like I said, it's an, an abundant time, an abundant time. Yeah. So I want to move on to 1776. Okay. Cause like we were talking about earlier, I know that everyone, they've received mixed reviews, but like I said, I loved it. I really, I loved the arrangements. Mm-hmm. I loved the, I mean, specifically sit down, John, like the, all of a sudden that like electric guitar or whatever, yes. just yeah. like went in. And I was like, whoa i was like because i wasn't expecting like an electric guitar in the middle of 1776 so apparently um what diane shared with us was that um the arrangements were actually supposed to be more poppy like more pop culture of the time Mm -hmm. of like the 60s and then they sort of went more americana yeah so i believe it was the son of peter stone 
that had a couple original recordings um, of things like Yours, Yours, and um, I'm not sure if Sit Down, John, but Diane was saying, like, what a revelation it was to hear some of those concepts. And so the the idea was, okay, how do we bring some of the, those ideas into the original score uh, without it being overwhelming or overpowering, you know? So, like, in The Egg that, you know, electric guitar really comes in in the mm -hmm. end. And of course, like, the even even the violin and the way that it's played, you know, uh, uh, with, with an electric sound was very important because those aspects, musical aspects, are also a part of America. Mm -hmm. okay? So, yeah, yeah. I remember I, because I felt like I was just like, cause I remember because it very easily could have just been like, and here we go with some just like do changing things to change things. But I felt like it worked because how it did was it emphasized, it wasn't just changing things to change things, or maybe it was, but it also it emphasized things. Like you really got yeah. the, with the sit down, John, when it was like that heavy electric guitar, guitar you really got the, you know, like, like I'm John, sit down. <laughs> mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was obsessed with your when I what was it? It was like when you and someone auto open yeah, up and, and I was like oh, yeah. I was like she got those low notes. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean I had Liz Liz's shoes because remember Liz on Broadway, mm -hmm. Liz was Hancock and um Liz is uh, that voice is so rich and so low and and juicy, you know. It yeah. was like, Okay, come on. You, you you got some big shoes to fill, literally, <laughs> figuratively, you know. So like it, even in um in the which number is it? It's the exchange in scene five, cool, cool. Oh yeah, right. Um, where Dickinson says you're one of us. You know, you don't even like John Adams, and the retort is that is true. He annoys me quite a lot. He annoys me quite a lot. But still, I'd rather trot, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, that is true. So it like truly lives down there. Mm -hmm. it, it, it wasn't brought up to be in a register for, you know, like a female voice. Mm -hmm. And I was like, great. Because that's <laughs> it. Let's go. <laughs> you know, so I really felt, I felt I, I, that's another reason I felt such growth and satisfaction in the show. Because I could show up my talents could show up and mm -hmm. be utilized in a way that was so satisfying to me that normally in other shows, I, I, I don't get that chance, you know, and I don't know that I will, I, I will get that, that opportunity to live in that, in the true place that my voice lives in. Um, because music theater just usually doesn't call for those types mm -hmm. of, you know, Sound. It's like sopranos and tenors only. Screw yeah. everyone else. You know, they want the ladies in the rafters, really? and the runs and the riffs and the, uh, you know, it's like. Those are love. Those are. <laughs> those are love. Yep. You know, it's like, which is very moving and amazing. But that's also, that's why as you grow in the craft, you, you have to have a self-awareness mm -hmm. of where you can thrive, right? You can get a show. And just feel such dissatisfaction 
you know, because you're in it, but you're either pushing your body or your voice or some, and that's why people, people will destroy themselves for the, you know, because they love what they do and they so want to do it that they will, you know, push themselves in an audition and say, yes, I can do this. But then you have to do it for eight shows a week for as long as the show will run. And that can destroy people. And it does, you know, that is that, that is the underbelly of music theater. Mm -hmm. It could be very destructive to you. If you're in an environment where you're, you are not being taken care of, or you're not honest about what you can or cannot do, or the environment that you're in doesn't care what you can or cannot do. You just have to do what it is you were assigned to do, right? Um, and so I'm very, very grateful that I have empowered myself, like I said earlier, with the ability to say, no, I, I don't want to do X, Y, or Z. Or look look within the the cast and casting for places and spaces in which I might have an opportunity to grow and sometimes that's not the show itself sometimes that's be working with a creative team that then gets to see you so the next time they're doing something they know your talent they know your work and they trust mm -hmm. that this particular thing you will be able to do right cuz mm -hmm. long everybody wants longevity right but sometimes, sometimes the industry really not, pushes for, for, for the, the most it can pull out of you for the shortest amount of time. And then there's a casting call for someone to replace you. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So now I have a quick question about yes, the show real quick. Mm -hmm. So how did the John Hancock hair work? Because when I was rewatching the Broadway in Chicago, like your takeover, and you were doing the hair, I didn't see any glue or tape. It looks like it was stuck on your head using magic so and the, prayers. The, oh, this, this is an awesome question. So I, so I have a mohawk, right? Okay. Right now I have braids in, but mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a shorter mohawk. And, and then at the back, it's pretty like close to scalp. Mm -hmm. But it can be pulled back into like, what what we call one it can be pulled back into one instead okay. of like like a pony like a pigtails or whatever gotcha and then i as a result i can put pieces on like a ponytail pieces oh, gotcha. i personally for i'm part of a band called chop and quench the fela band which grew out of the fela broadway show and i was obsessed with this jumbo plat piece oh i love it so much i every time i'm not kidding you every time i wear that on the street some <laughs> little girl goes jasmine every time <laughs> every time you know because it's just like this beautiful jumbo plait yes. that comes long down the back or, or to the front and i had taken to wrapping it up into a big bun mm -hmm. so that's what that is it's actually a long ponytail that is in in a plait it's plaited and then I twirl it around and stick it on and then put a couple pins in there to keep it up. Okay. Gotcha. And, and that's it. So it's not like a full wig. Yeah. Right. Um, and it just creates this sort of, you know, like this crown all mm -hmm. this. and, and, and this uh, gave a gravitas to the look. Whereas Hughes had a, had a long curly ponytail. Mm -hmm. Um, that was had a little bit more to do with like 
affluence and mm -hmm. style and whatever, which the South was supposed to represent. You know, the, the Southern delegates had the, the lace on their, mm -hmm. on their coats. And um, whereas like the North was a little bit more contained, you know, we're here for business and we're like, well, you're going to see us. You're going to see the style of the South, as well, <laughs> you know, as well as our gains from slavery. How about that? You know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, but I do, I, I, wore that poor piece out it was, you know it's like non-functioning anymore from after wearing it for um almost a year yeah you know? so what drew you to the project of 1776 oh my gosh great question really great great question the way it started was i know jeffrey page uh the co-director prior to this production mm -hmm. and he was actually putting his name in the hat to be choreographer for the show. Diane uh, was building her creative team and Jeffrey was one, was a person who was being considered. So he asked me and a couple other friends to do some workshop work with him to help him build ideas. And this was the first time I'd heard of 1776 he played the music for me and I was like, what is yeah. this? You know, like, I didn't know. I didn't, I, I just didn't know it. Um, I was a little concerned about it being like, you know, super nationalistic, but mm -hmm. that is the genius of the show. It's that it, it really is like a pull the rug under you. Like you think it's mm -hmm. a, you know, like America is great type show, but it's actually like, here are all the flaws yep. we need to reckon with, which is why, probably why it won the Tony uh, when it did, uh, but Jeffrey was utilizing, you know, my talent and skill to help him flush out ideas. And then he had a presentation to Jeffrey and, uh, excuse me, to Diane and some producers. And the thing about that is I'm not, there's nothing in, at stake for me. I am just going in the room to ensure that, my colleague who is exceptionally talented gets this job. Mm -hmm. And so I just went hard, you know, with the, the, um, what the other thing was I knew of Diane, but again, as I said, like in <laughs> my existence, I'm not, I, I, and maybe this is something I shouldn't say in public, but I don't get too deep into like, Oh, this director and that director. And I want to, you know, I, I, yeah. I don't, I find that sometimes it just gets in the way. Right. Yeah. It's better for me to go into a room, show my best work, see if they want to work with me. And then when I'm hired, I can learn all the things. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that I know nothing, but yeah. it, like I knew that Diane was, a a, a sought after director. Mm -hmm. And I also know, you know, that she had done Pippin, Mm -hmm. and uh and that had done really well and she's done a bunch of other things but the point is pippin is what was in my head it, mm -hmm. as an association and I, so i went into the room to show off jeffrey's work and that evening when I, I checked in and i said how did it go and he said they couldn't stop talking about you they're probably going to call you into audition oh, wow and by then Jeffrey and I had done well not just Jeffrey and myself but Jeffrey and had and the people he was working with to present the work 
we had come into the music. Like now I, I knew sit down, John, I knew piddle twiddle. I knew the egg. I knew uh, molasses to rum. And, and we would end up in these heady, heady, heady discussions. And I was like, wow, if this is, if this is where the type of work that's going to be done in the room, I want to do it. Um, and so I got a head start by being a part of those presentations. And then I came in to do the vocal auditions. And guess what I did? What? <laughs> I did uh, uh, Pontius Pilate's song from Jesus Christ. <laughs> I love that. You know, because again, the, it, about, it was like where my voice was Your sitting. Voice I knew that they, that, you know, just based on the call, um, they were interested in hearing certain, vo certain types of voices. Um, and then the other thing that was required in the audition was to read a portion of the Declaration of Independence and to tell a joke. What? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that might be my downfall. But it, it landed. I, I remember, believe it or not, it was a joke from like Reader's Digest or something. <laughs> because I, what I did it, I, is I went online and I Googled, you know, like political jokes. And I don't quite remember it. I thought I would never forget it. But it was something to the effect of it, this kid and a family structure. And the kid, there's a baby, a mom, a dad, and a nanny. And it's like the father asks him, you know, what what is the what is the political system of the united states or something to that effect and the son can't answer the question the dad is like okay think about it overnight but in in the middle of the night he wakes up i'm really telling this terribly but the point is it's like the baby is in its shit the dad is screwing the nanny the mom is pretending nothing is happening and um and and i am hungry right so it's it's like this political undertone using a joke and a family structure to kind of talk about the state of the country mm -hmm. and um and it landed really well you know i i would say that i practiced in the mirror but i didn't i just <laughs> I, I sat on the edge of my bed and practiced the delivery of this joke because i'm not a great joke teller mm -hmm. i just i'm not you know like i i am not and but it landed in the room and i was really excited and we had that would have been maybe towards the end of 2018. And then we had a workshop in 2019, uh, which was literally learning the music. Um, mm -hmm. Like I think about maybe a third of the people from that workshop moved on to the iteration it would become. And then we were very excitedly in 2020 planning the start of rehearsals and then COVID happened mm -hmm. <laughs> and we got, we COVID, um, not COVID, excuse me. 1776 was the light at the end of the tunnel for me when it came to COVID because ART, which is, um, American repertory theater at Harvard would, would intermittently send us correspondences. You know, initially it was like, Oh, it's just two weeks. And then it was like, well, it's two months. And then it was mm -hmm. like, you don't know what's happening. Right. Everybody's yep. story. <laughs> From the pandemic uh but they would intermittently send these um correspondences of either research or just saying this is happening you know like don't lose hope don't like this is happening 
And so when things started opening up towards the end of 21 was the, the confirmation that things would still be happening. And mm -hmm. then we were in rehearsal almost two years to the date of when we were supposed to start um, to get the, to get the show up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So you covered quite a few roles in the show. I did. You covered, well, first you covered John Hancock, then you were principal on tour. You covered Benjamin Franklin. Yep. And then I think you covered one more. So on Broadway, I covered John Hancock, Livingston, Caesar Rodney. Uh -huh. Hancock, Rodney, Livingston. And then on the road, I took over the role of Hancock. And then I still covered Hughes, Livingston, Caesar, Rodney. And then I understudied Franklin. And I was, I got to go on for Franklin at the Kennedy Center. And that was, wow. <laughs> it was great. It was so great. I, I cannot speak to anyone else's experience with the show but for me it was so artistically satisfying um and that franklin role you know certain starting with the hancock role and then building that and feeling it become my own and then being able to understudy franklin and again a, a role that required singing your, you know your voice in a certain place and placement um, and he's both funny and very poignant. Mm -hmm. And so that, that combination to be able to play that combination was fantastic. <laughs> and there are so many great jokes that like when yeah. Liz did it, I remember, yeah. but also because they're also now like when to be like having it be portrayed by a black woman, there are now so many double meanings. Into exactly. It, like, Yes. When the first scene when he's when Franklin is posing for the painting and he says something like you gotta like he's like he says something like you gotta like like pose for posterity and then yes. you see Liz and like then the picture of Benjamin Franklin behind, behind. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And then my other favorite one was right here, he John, being preserved for posterity. <laughs> yes. mm -hmm. And then my other favorite thing that Liz did was when it was when they were going down to New Jersey. I think it was in Act Two. Ah, yes. And like, and someone, I think it was Hopkins, who was like, "You're going down to Jersey for like the prostitutes, the whoring and the drinking." Yeah, and yes. then Liz goes, literally, Liz goes and points. That's her it. Like, that's your, that's the choreo. Well done. That's your choreo. Pointed off stage. Yes. Yeah. Like, like I was here. I go. <laughs> that was a quite so funny because Lulu, uh, Pickard as. Mm -hmm. Come on, Onika. Um, who was Lulu? She was from... Wasn't she Delaware? No, no, no. Delaware sees a Rodney. She's Maryland. Oh. Chase. So she's Chase of Maryland. And she initially in the room did the whole finger and point thing. And Jeffrey caught it and he was like, I like it. So he has um, Adams goes, wake up wake up Franklin um, <laughs> going to 
New Jersey or wherever it was. We're going to wherever the hell it was. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and he, he leads by pointing and then chase follows with the twirl and going. And then Jeffrey asked Petrina who played Franklin to also do the role so that it didn't matter who did it that moment. Once John says, wake up Franklin, you're going to New Jersey. And he says like, hell I am. <laughs> or, and he, and then Hopkins steps forward and goes the whoring and the drinking. And then yeah. <laughs> there's this little beat. And then the hand gesture, yep. <laughs> the march off stage. And it doesn't matter who's doing it. It was just so funny you know, because the, the, that that's one of the things, and that's one of the the um, underlying things. When I say things, let me be specific. One of the underlying sources of information, which is mm -hmm. Franklin's, you know, let's call it his kink. You know, he had a thing for women. He had a bunch of kids out of wedlock. He, you know, he felt that sex was an important part of the functioning of the mind and body. Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, it's, so it's interesting when you have two men sitting there saying, oh, they've made them um, all horny. And it's like, well, a man wrote this about mm -hmm. men in the Congress reflecting what men do. And that's why you have movements like Me Too, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I'm sorry if, to anyone listening. I know that was a very general statement. But we're talking about the whole sort of stereotypical locker room talk. Yep. Stereotypical behind closed doors. You know, what is being said when you think no one is listening or where you feel safe to have a same POV on sexuality, right? And it doesn't, mm -hmm. it, it's not, obviously it's not just men, but in the context of this show, that is exactly what we're talking about. Right. I mean, and I, like, yeah, and I remember we were talking about like how, like, when, like, with uh, Martha Jefferson and they were saying that. And I was like, but it's kind of written in there to begin with. They but that's just... the thing. The, it, that's uh, from the South. <laughs> it's from the original production. Mm -hmm. Does it change for you if it's a white woman and a white man playing Thomas Jefferson and she's singing about his violin? D does that now, is that less horny? No, it's not anything. It's just though I always tell people in talkbacks that I do this too. When I am uncomfortable about something, when something makes me uncomfortable looking at it, I need to become self-aware of why, why am I uncomfortable? And most of the times people don't like to do that work, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you see yourself reflected in the thing that is making you uncomfortable, like if you are an older man and you know there was a point in your life where you sat in a room and that's the way you talked and that's, you know, and now you're trying to be, quote unquote, an ally to whatever. Mm -hmm. you, you see something like that and you're like, oh, gasp. Well, they're so horny. Why would they be so horny? Because, sir, they are away from their homes for months on end, weeks on end. Right. Hancock says, mm -hmm. um, a committee will now be formed to manage the declaration, said document to be written, debated, and approved by the beginning of July, three weeks hence. No one is going home for three weeks. Yep. Jefferson, you are not going to go see a what? Come on. What do we think was happening? <laughs> you know, and, and that's what, that's things about the writing that I appreciated that when, if you had to do a thesis on it 
and talk about the negative spaces, what is in between some of the things that were said. And much of this information was taken from letters, correspondences, documents. Mm -hmm. You know, the, some of these things are word for word. When Shauna says resolved, that these United Colonies are of a right, ought to be, we went to the National Archives and saw that document. It was word for word, mm -hmm. right? This is not some 2023 commentary on yeah. men and whatever else. This is something that has been consistent since it was written in the 60s. This is commentary from the 60s that is still relevant today. And right. that was one of the things that I loved about it because there are so many revivals that will try that like tend to change things. Yes. To make to, it more to make the context like of now. Yes. I, but yes. I'm like and for me I'm always like, but the best ones are always the ones that don't change anything because right. they look at what they have mm -hmm. and they find ways to make it relevant. Uh, but you know, to be perfectly honest, I think when people have a problem is when the casting is changed, right? So yeah. You know, like you're used to seeing whoever as white or, or, or whatever, you know, fill in the blank and they're not right. Let's say like same Christine, right? Mm -hmm. The opera used to say, and you, now you have a black woman and suddenly it's like, well, you know, why would you do that? And what, well, first of all, let's just open some doors for some other remarkably talented people. Mm -hmm. right? But second of all, there is something about, and we use this term in the room all the time, shifting the gaze, right? When something as simple as a person is replaced by another or an other, what are you feeling? It's very important to investigate that. Inve and those are great conversations to have. I, I'm uncomfortable because maybe a multi, uh, I'm sorry, uh, a biracial relationship on stage makes me uncomfortable. So then, okay, great, sir. That's the power of art. Mm -hmm. Take that with you and start investigating why that makes you uncomfortable, right? Or maybe two men are playing a role that's traditionally a man and woman and you you are uncomfortable seeing that okay then let's let's like legitimately talk about it but some people really want to come to theater to have you you know be the dancing monkey and have them feel happy about it and they don't have to question anything about their lives which has a place that absolutely has a place everybody needs reprieve from what they're going through yeah. and every theater show doesn't need to be a therapy session right exactly <laughs> right that absolutely not but if you if there is discomfort this is something that i've challenged myself with when i go to a show and i feel myself squirm a little bit or i, I it's very important that afterward i kind of investigate like why did i why did that make me feel that way was it something that made me think about myself or a trauma or something that I don't necessarily approve of, or it's not my value system, all of it. That's the power of, of art and theater. Right. So mm -hmm. I am okay with anybody who is uncomfortable with the casting. And I also am very okay with the people who came and were impacted because the thing that they thought they knew so well, the history they thought they knew so well 
suddenly they're like, do I? Because in having these bodies make, express these words and lines, I hear it differently and I feel it differently. And it speaks to the, the, the reckoning and the healing and the work that we as a country still need to do to be better humans to each other, right? Mm -hmm. If you're going to be uncomfortable with women and trans people and non-binary people on stage, performing a show as is, just think about how uncomfortable you're going to be when more is at, at stake, right? Mm -hmm. And I always say, if you can't show up for the easy stuff, you're not going to show up for the hard stuff. <laughs> like you're not. <laughs> you're not going to show up when when the world needs it. And I just, yeah, and I remember when I was just watching the piece, like, I wasn't even, like, I was like, oh, yeah, there's women, non-binary, trans people, and I was just like, I was like, okay, but they're playing characters. I was like... And that's what happened for most people. Most people, like, that's what they saw initially, and then suddenly, Onika was John Hancock. Yeah. You know, Liz was... Benjamin Franklin. Franklin. You know, like, we just became those characters, and now you're listening to the story, and then in the very poignant moments, then you saw and you understood how the writing, when you write these things down and you make these choices, eight slashes on a page becomes 400 years of a, a system of enslaving human beings. That's important. Instead of just being like, oh yeah, oh, yeah, we know they wrote the document and now we're independent. Yay. Yeah. So the show ends on a very heavy note because do I clap? When I mean, especially the moment with like all the barrels. Like I remember I audibly gasped when that happened at the end. I was like, oh. Mm -hmm. Economy was... over humanity. Economy over humanity. And it's still happening now. You know, it, it's still a thing now. It's one of the reasons why climate change is kind of being ignored because there's more the it's there's more economy in mm -hmm. continuing to burn fossil fuels you know um and yeah capitalism thrives on money that yep. is not, i'm not trying to put a judgment on that i'm just making a statement no it's a statement it's a and all of that is woven into the dna of the country Mm -hmm. So when the, when these like literal genetic things about America come up, it is time for us to just write like, so I'll be like, Oh my God, this is unprecedented and it's never happened. Yes, it has. It has mm -hmm. happened. It's happened in the round, in the round, in the round. It's just that, okay. So now it's not, it's no longer the enslavement of people. Now it's the oppression of people in the way that they want to express themselves and live their lives, right? Or like I said, like climate change or, you know, the development of, th of something like AI, again, not a judgment, but mm -hmm. something like AI and thinking about it more in terms of economy and money to be made versus the betterment of the human existence, we, we're, we're going to keep running into these problems. We're going to keep running into these problems. So I just, I just appreciated the show for shifting my, it did, that's what it did for me. Because before I was like, listen, the founding of America ain't got nothing to do with me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, nothing. And then I was like, 
oh my gosh, these stories, like I think about the Caribbean islands seeking their independence. It's easy to forget that America was a colony. They were the first to do it. And that audaciousness, which is like the theme, my word of this podcast, my theme word of the podcast, <laughs> that audaciousness that the United States had to say, I no longer want to be on the, under the foot of this empire is what inspired so many other countries to do the same. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and when you start finding common ground like that, then you start building respect and you just start, okay, we are different, but where are the points where we have similarities and we've made similar choices and we've done similar things and what have, what have been the repercussion of those choices? Let's talk about that. Right. Mm -hmm. And Sometimes it, it's too much work. Sometimes it's, it, the work is hard and it's uncomfortable. And being uncomfortable these days is labeled as being attacked, which is ridiculous. Discomfort is so that you can expand yourself, right? Mm -hmm. In healthy contexts. Yeah. Comfort is so that you can expand yourself and you're not stuck in one way of thinking, seeing, and understanding, right? So we purposefully created discomfort and created good trouble. And we knew from the beginning that was not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but we knew it was our responsibility as artists to get the work done and seen and talked about. So what was it like creating this production specifically? Because I have questions. Because one, one of my favorite sequences was the molasses to rum sequence mm -hmm. because it was so incredibly powerful with how it was done well i i always said in every rehearsal i was like i have a i had a advantage and that was as i shared earlier working mm -hmm. with jeffrey when he was putting his name in the hat to be choreographer and he went in the room and he and diane gelled well so well that they decided to be co-directors, right? Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned, we had intense conversations around these numbers and I, that information, that knowledge, I, you know, I did my best to share it with the cast as much as possible. But when you get into the rehearsal process, there is not as much time to sit and talk about intention and what this means and what that, they're just, the, the way that we did when we were creating it. So for Jeffrey, he wanted Molasses Room to not just be a, a, a song that was sung beautifully, but that would transform us as actors into the story of America. And that is when, you know, like the blackness mattered, meaning mm -hmm. like, the, you, the black bodies would be symbolizing enslaved bodies and all other bodies, even if they were people of color, would represent the, again, the, the white person, enslavers. And not, and yeah, yeah. And, 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 but not just like the person, but the mechanism, the system, mm -hmm. right? Um, not, and, and, and which is, yes, of course, in, in the American story is whiteness, but 
just like the mechanism of it. So the use of the tables to box in the black bodies, right? Mm -hmm. And even the, a moment when the black bodies would come to the front and be, it would be a moment and then you're sucked back as the, as the other bodies move forward and then they lock you in, right? So first they're on the side and then they're to the front and then they turn into something that almost resembles like the hull of a ship, mm -hmm. right? And then... And, and, it to show, and then the black bodies move onto the table, which is like double meaning. It could be, you know, like that auction block, right? Or it could mean moving above and moving and like what happens if, and this is what I always said to the people in the chairs, for you look up and here are a people that, that are the are supposed to be suppressed and oppressed, but they are above. And what is the fear that is created in that moment? So these are the kinds of things that I would, these are the conversations, because I had a title of dance dramaturge. And uh, these are the conversations that I would have in terms of putting that work together. Now, it was very difficult in the room, very difficult. Um, a lot of people did not have that same amount of knowledge as I did. A lot of persons of color were uncomfortable in the assignment mm -hmm. of representing the, the mechanism and the, the, the system of enslavement. And so, so we, you know, there were difficult, hard conversations um, that for me, I had had an advantage of working through because I had been involved in workshopping it and creating it. And for other people, it took a very, very long time to have an understanding of exactly what it was we were doing in that moment. Mm -hmm. But um, but eventually, yeah. And eventually, that was the case that Rutledge, who is, I mean, by most accounts, like the villain of the story, right? Mm -hmm. But what he is saying is everybody is is... Everybody's guilty. Is, 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 is guilty. Everyone, whether you are in the North and you don't own a single slave, you still benefit from it. You still benefit mm -hmm. from the, the system and you don't have a problem with that. And you all are very religious and you send your Bibles to Africa and those Bibles are used to, you know, manipulate the people into, <laughs> you know, a serfdom, into slavery, into... Mm -hmm being used their bodies being used you know and and i think it's incredible to use that quote the quote-unquote bad guy to 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 illustrate that to the entire congress so when we come out of that fever dream everybody is left that's left on everyone's shoulders right the accuser he's like look i'm i am doing it and i'm saying it out loud that i'm doing it but the rest of you are pretending that you're not doing it. That you're not, and that you that you have some that you care, and it matters because at the end, at the very end, after the words are scratched out, Hancock asks the Congress, "Gentlemen, are there any further changes to the Declaration as it now stands?" And no one says no. No one says, "Um, can we go back to that slavery thing?" Because yeah. I don't want no. Nobody says it, and then it's signed with that clause scratched out. And when you look at it from that perspective and you realize like everybody on stage is impacted by that decision. I mean, my God, 
how much more poignant is that than than the way it's traditionally cast in my opinion no and i i agree with that i remember that was one of the moments that i found most powerful like the first time i watched it, i was like I was uncomfortable and I was uncomfortable. Like, yes. And that's important because then it, it's the recognition of the thing. Like it is something to be very proud of, right? This idea that you're breaking away from a people uh, or a, a, an empire that you felt did not give its people a mm -hmm. voice. That's something to be like proud of. And then there's the fine print, right? Like any document, we can sell your information to anybody and you did. And then suddenly like this contract that you thought was so awesome because you're getting a 10% discount, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. the interest is 40%. And the minute you don't pay it now, suddenly it's, there's repercussions to anything you put on paper and sign. And I think the show just really highlighted that powerfully. And one of the most important moments was molasses to rum. In, in, in making a point that, okay, it's abhorrent, but we're not ending it. And you, even you don't want it to end. Jefferson is asked, you are a practitioner, are you not? Mm -hmm. And then he says, I've already resolved to sell my slaves. That's a lie. Yep. Right? Because you're just... Cause and, I mean, and, and, she, and, and in our show, right? It's said with a, a, a black woman as Adams and as the the person working with Jefferson, you know? And so there's these layers to how yeah. you're seeing it and, and how you're experiencing it. it. It's not just the story. It's literally like, how are people on stage feeling listening to this? Because I yeah. remember when I, yeah, when I had Crystalline on, she said that... What like it was like the molasses to rum sequence got harder and harder every time she did it, mm. and she said by the end of it she was like I was like she was like I'm I was she was like I'm so thankful for that experience but I'm glad it's over because mm -hmm. I remember when I saw it there was like when she was doing it and she was like running around not running around when she was like walking around the stage like there was genuine terror and there was genuine tears in her eyes, and she said that that was every night she said that got harder and harder to do because it was just so powerful. I was really her. impacted by Crystalline's performance. I, I thought that she embodied uh, so, so many of the, of the layers of, of John Adams, uh, as well as layers of self um, that were really useful to me as an actor, as a human being, um, and as a person creating the story with her on stage at night, I, I, I would have given anything to have her come on the road. <laughs> I would have loved her you know, to on the I, yeah, road. Yeah, especially yeah, yeah. because the third time I saw it, I saw Lulu as um, Rutledge, uh -huh. and her Rutledge was just incredible. Yeah, like I remember in um i remember when i saw sarah and cassandra when their relatives i was uncomfortable by them but lose i was terrified of mm -hmm. because there was this intenseness about it when she did the molasses to rum sequence. oh yeah and yes. i was like yes i was just like i was like i loved i loved as hughes i loved playing with um lulu as well 
Uh, she really, we, there's another term we use in the room, violent manners, uh, which is when you're, you know, you thank you, please <laughs> appreciate it. You know, bless so, your heart. But yep, there's like, bless it, your it, heart. It's, it's, there's danger underneath there. It's a threat, right? Mm -hmm. you know, um, have you ever seen in, what is it called? In, in Glorious Bastards? I have not. So but there's a scene at the very top of the movie that is a masterclass in violent manners. It is the entire conversation is with a smile, and, but you know you are on that you are in danger. Like you yeah. absolutely know you're in danger, and so in studying for the show, things like that scene, Inglorious Bastards, uh, True Detective season one for me particularly is Joseph Hughes watching Matthew McConaughey um, in that role. Uh, um, House of Cards, just to get that quiet where you're not saying a lot, but when you do, you know, you're like, you're obedient. No, you're not. You want to shoot mm -hmm. me in the face. You didn't. Yeah. <laughs> you, are, you are not my obedient anything you yep. know and lulu was lulu had this thing that she would do when she was on she always wanted pearls right because she wanted that like southern antebellum you know oh so nice to see you sir mm -hmm. oh, like that and you know that it's dripping with something gross mm -hmm. and frightening you know so yeah but i i i of course, on the road, I didn't get to play with um, Cass, but uh, Sarah, Lulu, and Mehri. Oh my gosh, Mehri's! I, you you want you probably didn't see her. Mehri's. I no, I probably didn't. Rutledge it was just. It really it 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 made you sit back, you know, because it, it, it was almost psychotic in the way that she switched, you know, that moment when she goes um, to Thompson. Um, that will suffice, Mr. Thompson. I thank you. Right. She would just, I thank you. And then she would look up and the, this gray would come over her face. And she was like, I, I just can't understand what it is you're talking about. You know, like she had this way, like it was just so creepy. I remember, I think I was on as Hancock one time when she was, and I was like, and then I, I, I said to myself, you are the president of the Congress. Could you not like be in observation? <laughs> you need to still be Hancock because I was so taken in by her performance. You know, at the end of the day, listen, what an honor to share the stage with people like Lulu, like Sarah, like, like, um, Mary, uh, like Liz, Michael, uh, Petrina, Joanna. I mean, <sighs> Joanna as Hopkins, forget it. Forget it. You know, Carolee, just, it, 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 what a gift for me personally. There is no way that I'm not like impacted as an actor, as a performance, because there's so many of us in our craft making different choices. And then the joy of seeing people go in for different roles and, and different, uh, different choices that they would make 
to honor the story the way that they felt it coursing through their body, right? Um, yeah, what what a dream, what a gift. Hard yeah. work, hard work. Oh, yeah. Oh, don't get me wrong. Like some people, the, the experience was traumatic, I think. I think that the experience overall for some people is something that left them scarred. Um, but, but, but that is not my, that is not my story. Yeah. I just remember I loved it. I loved, I remember I loved you. I loved Liz. I also, oh my God, his Shauna was hysterical. Yeah. Was yeah. just, and what I loved was that it wasn't like sticky, the funny, it was just like, it was just like, we all know people that have like a big personality like that. And it was just, like, I loved how she was like, bitch, I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> With the <laughs> I'm back, bitch. <laughs> and I remember, every, like, yes, Tom. Little wife wants to know. Just so hysterical. I know, I know. And but strategic, and that is another thing about Hughes that I loved understanding. Because then you had when we all sit in that sort of Last Supper design with the tables facing forward. And the order is Chase, Dickinson, Wilson, Rutledge, Hughes. Oh gosh, what's his name from Georgia? Oh God, um, Lyman Hall. Lyman, goddamn Lyman, <laughs> Lyman, Lyman, and then uh, Jefferson, and then um. Uh, Lee, Shauna. And what's really cool again is when you're in the context of creating the work and you're, you're also creating these little teams, right? And for example, you have Lyman who is torn. The people are against it and I'm for it. And being pulled by Virginia or being pulled by, you know, the Carolinas, the characters caught in between those two delegations so it's it's it it was just it made me so interested in wanting to know more about the history man um I mean so much of it is covered in blood, but no, so much of it is covered in blood, full mm -hmm. stop, and so much of it is covered in brilliance, and the hard work is how do you come to terms with that? Mm -hmm. that that's the hard work coming to terms with brilliance and blood being like broiled in the same bowl wow what an alliteration you should write that <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just i love that production so much i thought it was incredibly directed acted i mean it was just and it just got especially on the road it just got better and better and stronger oh, yeah. and stronger um, you know, it's interesting. You said you saw it in Philly twice. And for me, Philly was definitely like the embryonic stages. We were yeah. figuring out people's choices and the pacing and whatever else. And so it was a little bumpy. Yeah. And also to that theater, the, uh, for me, the sound wasn't really great. 
But it's the Forest it's, Theater is crazy. I just yeah. remember, it, especially yes, the stage absolutely. door and how it's in an alley. Like, my favorite was, like, you guys all, like, you guys would, like, because when you, I was there your first night in Philly. Mm -hmm. And I remember you guys all then literally, like, you were all dressed up because you did, like, a picture, like, a little cupcake thing or whatever for opening. Mm -hmm. And I remember then, like, literally you all would, like, come out, like, from, uh, and then you would, like, come out and you would all be in these, like, beautiful gowns and dresses. And you would come out to this alley where, oh. I don't know. Where someone probably peed in it. <laughs> and it's you so were like, true. I always tell people that the glamour and glitz of it all is a facade, baby. It's a facade. You walk that red carpet and then you got to throw them shoes off because you have four flights to go up to get to your damn dressing room. Yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, come on. And then, well, I remember when I saw it in when I saw it in New York. I remember it was because it was a matinee, and I remember Shauna came out and she was in hair she had her because she was ordering food and so she had her hair pins in she was wearing her jacket was wearing sweats was wearing <laughs> and then i remember she had an uber driver that spoke spanish and i forget who i think it was the guy who was the secretary the woman who was the secretary Mary. yes Mary. i think so because she, yeah, she spoke spanish. spanish yes and i remember so then sean was like can you deal with this and so <laughs> Mary it's was so just true. like Mary was just like was just caught, like was like talking in Spanish. They were like she was like they were like American Airlines, and then they were just like American Airlines, and then they were like no, not the airport, the theater. Oh no! Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. All, all, all the what do you call it? The BTS of it all. It was so. I remember, and then yeah, it was just. I had. I I loved seeing it. it was so. I yes. Yeah. So I love that show. And I, I was trying to see it in D.C., but I simply, I couldn't afford, I had to choose between seeing 1776 and Kimberly Akimbo. Yes, yes. Because for me, it was, because with going to D.C., it's the train ride that's expensive. Mm -hmm. Because then I can always, because at the Kennedy Center, I can always get, they because they're a nonprofit group, they have all these rush tickets for educators, for True. students, yes. etc., yes. where you yep. can get like twenty dollar tickets. And then, but in New York, it's all like the, it's the tickets themselves that are expensive. Yeah. And I remember yeah. so, and I had to choose okay. because, and so I because one because Colleen Fitzpatrick was going on as Kimberly, yeah. so I I wanted to go see her because I was just like I want I want to go see, her. and I was like I've already seen seventy seventy six three times exactly. <laughs> I also thought that it, I also thought it. I also thought that y'all had a month more into your run, so I was like, okay, well, I still got time to go see it. And then I was like, we're closing next week, and yeah. I was like, oh. yeah, we did three, yeah, we did three weeks in DC, and then after DC, it was Houston, Kansas City, and Seattle, I think. After after DC, no, that's not true. That's not true. Come on, it was. <laughs> North Carolina, South Carolina, and then like Houston, Seattle. We still had quite a bit of time, but it's really interesting. It was so crazy how that August 7th, that date just kind of suddenly it was done, you know, yeah. suddenly it was over. And that was always the agreement. The, it, actually, what was supposed to happen from the original iteration of 2020 was Cambridge was going to be the start of the tour. Mm -hmm. We would start in Boston and then tour the United States almost like in line with election cities, like big cities where you would have either um, rallies or conventions and whatever. And then, uh, and then it would culminate on Broadway. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's why, uh, you know, once Broadway is the, is the, is like the ultimate, 
Yeah. For the penultimate. So a, lo- a number of people after doing Broadway were like, well, I don't know if I want to go on the road. Right. So that's why we had, a, 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 you know, like more or less a 50, 50 split. Yeah. Um, if we had done it in the original iteration, more than likely everybody that had played Boston would have gone on the road and then ended it in Broadway. Right. But that mm-hmm. was not what the universe had in store for us. But I do think that everybody ends up where they're supposed to. Um, and like I said, for some people, the experience was harder than others on and off stage. So in that, in, again, those are the contexts where you need to be self-aware as an artist about what is healthiest for you, what is most productive for you, you know, what is best for your mental and physical health and the growth of your craft, not just to have the job, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very, very, very grateful that for me, the experience was a positive one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I could talk to you forever about 1776. Same, same. But thank same. you so much for joining me, Onika. You're very welcome. I You're just have three final questions for you. Three, let's go. First and foremost, where can the people find you online? Okay, online, I'm basically on one platform. On, I'm on Instagram as Dragon Passion Fruit. Um, as soon as you type dragon and hit that P, I pop right up. It's a black and white photograph. Um, and I post both, both personal and professional things there. I'm not on TikTok. Um, I am on Facebook for my family. <laughs> uh, but definitely dragon passion fruit um on instagram is a great way to kind of keep abreast of the things that i'm doing yeah do you have anything you want to plug or promote oh yes so my next project is called watch night it will be at the brand spanking new performing arts center nyc at the world trade center and I'm very grateful to be a part of it. I'm, work- I'm once again working with Bill T. Jones. This will be my third time working with him. Um, I worked with him on Black No More and on Fela. Um, and he is prolific in and of himself. I'm also working with a very dear friend, colleague, and very talented director, uh, Jermaine Rowe, who is associate director. And um, it's only a two-week run a brand new uh, performing space in New York. And it's a bit of a manifestation for me because I remember passing it when it was being built and being immediately flooded with a desire to perform there. So it is yet another goal for me that has come to fruition. And that will be November, I think it's November 3rd through the 18th. I think. But it's only, it really is only a two week run. So come see us. (laughs) <laughs> okay good i was like i was like wait when is this happening because i was like this happens this airs october 27th and i was like I okay know. i was like okay good i was november, like this november thing. yeah <laughs> and then my final question for you is is there a lady you would love to have lunch with whoa uh okay so just one lady you can choose a few if you want <laughs> all right so i would Again, Jesus Christ Superstar Influence. I would do, I would lunch with Mary Magdalene, the real woman. The, the, like, the one. You're the second I, person to say Mary right. Magdalene. Really? Yes. Yeah. I would do, I would have lunch with Mary Magdalene. I would lo- have lunch with Michelle Obama. 
I would have lunch with Dame uh, Eugenia Charles, who was one of the first black female prime ministers in the Caribbean. She's oh. a prime minister of Dominica. Um, and I would have lunch with a woman who was a very important part of my life growing up. I called her Mima. Her name is Selena, um, who I miss immensely. She was literally a walking angel on earth. And if I could have one more moment with her, the way that I remember her as, as a child and all that she meant for me, I, I would have lunch with her. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you again so much for joining me. It thank was so you. great chatting with you. Same. Thanks for having me. Um, it was a pleasure and mm -hmm. such a great idea and a space of expression and to share about the ins and outs of this incredibly, incredibly wonderful and difficult industry that, mm -hmm. that you're a part of. So thank you for the space for that. Thank you. All right. I will see you all next week. Bye-bye. Bye! <laughs> so here's to the girls on the go. Everybody tries. Look into their eyes and you'll see what they know. Everybody dies. A toast to that invincible bunch. The dinosaurs surviving the crunch. Let's hear it for the ladies who lunch.